Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining me for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at a Harvard Business Review tip. One of them is uh, be more productive between meetings. We're also going to have our uh, weekly chat with Christina. Last week, we looked at a small business book called Small Business Exposed by Professor Scott Holmes. And we're going to continue on looking at that. But right now, we're going to have a chat with uh, Larry Wilson from Wilson Data Systems about laws that relate to data safety in your business. Good afternoon, Larry. Good afternoon, Julian. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, For uh, most small, medium businesses may not be aware of the recent changes to the Australian Privacy Act requiring them to report any data breaches, whether they are paper or electronic. And in recent days, Facebook has been making the headlines for the wrong reason, where 87 million or so Facebook users' uh, data has been inappropriately shared with a UK company, Cambridge Analytics. And also, over the last few years, other big names have also been in the global spotlight. For example, Uber, the ride-sharing company, a credit reporting company, Equifax, and Ashley Madison, the dating site. So, Larry, what is privacy? That uh, is perhaps sometimes a complex conversation, especially when you start to involve law in it. But going basically back to the foundation principles and um, I'll cheat a little bit there and use a reference from a book called Ethics and Technology by Tavani. Um, somewhere buried fairly well into the book it actually states that um, privacy analysts have pointed out the meaning of privacy has evolved since the 18th century. Initially privacy was understood in terms of uh, freedom and uh, from physical intrusion. Later, it became more associated with freedom from interference into one's personal affairs, including one's ability to make decisions freely. And more recently, its uh, privacy has come to be closely identified with concerns affecting access to and control of personal information. And this view is often referred to as informational privacy, which uh, is sort of what the legislation is um, being formed to... um, in some ways, enforce business to mm. uh, comply with good expectations of what we, uh, the people and the general public, have of uh, business when we give them their information. So the law regarding privacy has been around quite a while, but there was a new notifiable data breach requirement added fairly recently. What What is that? Yes, back in February of 2017, the legislation was tabled and passed and had 12 months, basically, grace period to come into effect. So it came into effect on the 22nd of February this year. So it's been around for about six weeks now. And um, in that six weeks, there's just been a quarterly report coming out from the um, Office of the Australian Information Commissioner, which has indicated that there's been 63 breaches already within uh, this mandatory notification period, which is something we're going to discuss a little bit more shortly. Okay, so uh, obviously some companies are aware of it. Who needs to comply with this particular regulation? Basically, all companies that have a turnover in excess of $3 million are automatically required to comply with the new legislation. Businesses with less than $3 million turnover, including mums and dad businesses and such, um, are required under certain circumstances to be compliant, but they're um, more 
on the exempt side of the equation. But the uh, compliance does involve them, if, especially if they are health service providers. It is mandatory, as well as other legislation pertaining to um, uh, various components of um, My Health, I think it is, Act, uh, which is a health uh, information storage um, uh, facility being um, operated by government contractors. Mm. Now, um, others that are requiring to report it is uh, businesses that deal with the supply of um, legal accounting and management information um, that uh, has been fleshed out by some organisations to include um, basically all field health services uh, providers, whether that's um, you know, your local chiropractor or um, a chemist or a, or a multi-practice uh, a medical um, clinic. Mm. If somebody's looking at that data uh, that shouldn't be, um, then that is a reportable event um, and it's compulsory whether you're a one-man show or you have a um, couple hundred million dollars turnover. So there's no exceptions with health information. So, so what... What type of breaches have been reported in the last six weeks? Uh, there seems to be a variety. Um, most of them have been in relation to contact information as opposed to identity information. Mm. Contact information has been about 78%. Uh, identity information has involved uh, 24% according to the, uh, the Commissioner's uh, report. And so, there's other breaches which have been occurring. Most of them, interestingly, or half of them, have been reported as being as a function of human error. Mm. So uh, the uh, the Act came, or the, the the change to the Act came in February eight, 2018. Is there any other time frames involved, or is that it? Have they got a period in which they have to report in? Yes, there is a, um, a reporting requirement in the legislation. Um, I think it is quoted as a reasonable and expeditious time frame, <laughs> which is a little bit, uh, I guess the word, I guess one description is nebulous. However, um, while that sounds a little bit uh, nebulous, the expected um, timing with respect to other legislation and such is usually 30 days. The bottom line is um, you can notify them as, and let them know as soon as you think there's been a breach and ask for more time to investigate. That's probably the safest way to play it. So if I don't do that, what are the likely penalties that a company or individual can be faced with? OK, I'll start out with companies, which will be the biggest um, shock or ouch factor. The failure to comply with the notifiable breaching requirements is $2.1 million. Yeah. Or up to that amount, um, you can be fined. Now, for individuals, that um, is $420,000, potentially. Now, obviously, it's only been in force for six weeks, and like most governments, they will be a little bit um, more consulted, uh, consultative uh, in those first 12 months, I would assume. But if somebody's um, flagrantly causing data breaches and just running uh, sloppy security in terms of the handling of um, 
privacy data, then you can expect that they will probably attract some attention rather quickly. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, human error is mainly one of the main causes for the breaches. Uh, what should businesses do to mitigate or manage this risk? Well, putting the IT uh, aspect of it yeah. aside just for a moment, uh, physical breaches, which are the most reported ones thus far or in the last six weeks, the issue is you know, leaving health... We'll pick on the, um, pick on's probably not the right term. We will um, discuss the healthcare industry to start with because they're mandatorily under the, um, that umbrella. So if a, a chemist leaves a piece of paper on a counter and somebody grabs it and takes off with it, if there's reasonable expectation that can cause harm, then it's reportable. Um, if you're a uh, mum and dad business and one of the staff come in and see payroll details on the desk, including the tax file number, and uh, I'll come back to the tax file number in a second, then that is reportable as well. Mm. Now, the tax file number bit is one of the exceptions that is mandatory reporting as well. So if you've got records that involve a tax file number and the person's name, and presume you would also, in payroll details, have other personal contact information, potentially including their bank account as well, then you could probably reasonably expect, although it hasn't been fully clarified yet, that that will be reportable. Wow, okay. So putting your IT hat on it for a moment, uh, is there things we can do to secure our data on computers? Uh, First of all, I'll um, extend the IT umbrella a little bit. Um, because that probably needs to be, scope needs to be discussed briefly. The Australian legislation has just come in, as we've just discussed, and there is legislation in, um, especially the EU countries, uh, which have, um, probably some tighter regimes than Australia has just introduced. And the EU, if you're, the reason I say this is if you're storing data of EU citizens, and we'll have to separate that out into EU and UK citizens now with Brexit and such. Then there is a another reporting requirement as well, and that is to, under the um, European legislation, mm. which uh, I think is about £500 UK fines for failure in that area. And they're talking about, yeah, by mid-year this year, upping that to €20 million Euro as a maximum penalty. So it's a very serious uh, situation, data privacy in the EU. And if you're holding EU citizens' data, namely credit cards or health information in your systems, you need to make sure that's digitally secure and be able to show reasonable steps and demonstrate due diligence. Mm. Now, that's the legal phrases. And by the way, we probably should state that we're not giving legal advice here. We're just having a discussion on um, business practices and ethics on what we should be doing. Yeah. Great. Well, thank, thanks for the time. We're, we're running a little bit out of time there. Um, obviously, uh, people want to know more. But the Office of Australian Information Commission, with their uh, work, government website, uh, oaic.gov.au, is a good source. That's right. Yeah. The uh, www.oac.gov.au forward slash NDB is the site where the Commissioner has uh, put up a whole suite of guidance information for organisations to get up to speed on this new legislation that 
affects uh, most businesses in this country. Well, thank you for your time, Larry. Uh, we'll probably have a chat with you again, especially if we keep an eye on what's going on with Facebook. Yes, and we probably should talk about what you can do in terms of um, best practice in terms of data security with your computer systems and uh, firewalls. Right. Also, I should mention that the Australian Computer Society has some good information on that as well. Excellent. In fact, they have a cybersecurity um, brief document, which Google should probably find quite easy as well. Right. Thank you. Well, thanks for your time, Larry. Pleasure, Gillian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Larry Wilson there from Wilson Data Systems. Yeah, it's quite complex and uh, a lot of us are keeping uh, data of our customers on our uh, on our computers, so uh, we better make sure that we're taking good action. Time to have our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. What a lovely day it is outside today. It's very warm and sunny, isn't it? It is, it is. So we're going to continue on with that uh, Small Business Exposed book by Professor Scott Holmes and uh, a few comments that you've got from it. Yeah, so um, Small Business Exposed, the tribes that drive economies. And, um, for those for those listeners that weren't tuned in last week, um, it's a small business book. It's just been released um, and we did a session on it at the Writers' Festival uh, last week, which was quite interesting. So Professor Scott Holmes has spent 30 years um, researching small business and he said it's actually taken him that long to come up with this with this statement that says small businesses are... He said he got the whole thing wrong and actually what it is is that small businesses are extensions of the business owners themselves. And when you put it like that, it sounds so obvious. Yeah. Um, and when I, when I said to him, you know, what was it that, that created that... Um, that statement for you that cleared everything up. He said, when governments kind, when they look at small business and they go, what are, you know, what is it about business? They they're too concerned with the figures and you know the, all the income generation and how many people are employed there, and they don't actually um, go into the qualitative data. So we're really good at collecting quantitative data, aren't, you know, mm. measuring numbers. But when it comes into the qualitative data. Uh, we're not that not that um, observant, not that concerned, or we find that that it's easier um, to measure. So they've created this grid, which is is quite um, impressive, and it gets people to, to measure themselves against certain criteria. Uh, and you, it's a it's quite an easy grid. And if you if you um, what I'll do is I'll send you a link, and you might put it up on the Facebook site because people can actually do a self analysis okay. um, of where they fit. So what they've found is that there's five main tribes uh, in this small business book exposed that they've that they've put together. They've got the seekers, the what nows, the drifters, the satisficers, and the digitals. And the first four, the seekers, the what nows, the drifters, the satisficers, are actually quite similar. They're um, the seekers are a little bit younger. Um, they haven't been in business for quite as long as the others potentially, but they've all got roughly two to four employees. This is what the stats showed. But in actual fact, when um, Professor Scott Holmes interviewed people, he said most small businesses are one-man operations. He said mm. it was quite amazing that, that even that two- to four-employee um, number came up. They're turning over um, 500K or less, uh, and they're, but they fit their name. So the seekers, they're the ones starting out in business. They're the ones... Um, you know, they're setting new targets, they're, they're not necessarily meeting them, but they're aspirational. They're 
they're aspiring to create a business that's going to have some kind of um, recreational, or sorry, not recreational growth. They're going to, uh, to have some growth. And the main um, businesses in this area are retail, arts and recreational. The what nows, now I'm sure we all know what nows because the what nows are, are a little bit on the whingy side. And he said what the main industries that they hold are the insurance, the health um, and, the, and the social aspects. But they kind of, they go, you know, what's next? What, what can go wrong next? What now? What's ne- what now is going to get in my way sort of thing? So um, they believe that external forces are the ones that are affecting everything. They don't take, there's not so much responsibility for what they're doing um, themselves. Everything is an external factor. So I, I thought, I've, I've actually got, I, I know people like that. Mm, you know, yeah. you, can, you can see them. You can see the aspiration in the seekers. You can see the... You know, well, I didn't do that. It was an external force that made that happen. The drifters are the ones that are striving for stability. So they, they're potentially in agriculture, construction, education, training. And even by those classifications, they are constantly changing at the moment. And you can see where they are striving for some kind of stability. The satisficers, um, and I'll declare that this is a group when I did the, the test online that I fall in, um, they're classic small firms, um, and the business is there to fulfil my purpose, right? So the business is there. I've started this business because I have an impact that I would like to make on the world, and this is how I'm, I'm going to do it. So mm. he describes it as, as stress-free, stability seekers. Um, we're quite aware of, of underlying issues, but we don't let things harass us too much. We don't get swayed too much. The digitals, on the other hand, they're the ones that have got six to ten employees. They have incomes of above five hundred thousand k, and they're just growing exponentially because. They're, but they're tech oriented. They're not necessarily tech businesses. So we've mentioned a lot um, how the most successful businesses are the ones that are using the technology of the day um, to increase business. To you know, they're using technology. They're marrying it with what they what their aspirations are. And that's why they're they're highly successful. Mm. So it's almost like they um, they're into they're not just the digital businesses. So I don't want that to I don't want the top the title digital to to fit into that category. Um, but it is again that reiteration that digit make the most of what technology is out there to put your business forward. Mm. Okay. Well, we're out of time now. Um, I thought so. <laughs> thank you very much for your time. And I understand that you're having a great trip to the States for the next couple of Thursdays. So yep. we'll chat with you when you come back. Okay. Look forward to it. Have a great week. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with uh, some interesting points from the Small Business Exposed book. And where do we fit? Got just a quick time for our short Harvard Business Review tip. Be more productive between meetings. A busy schedule of meetings often means that we have 30-minute gaps scattered throughout the day. We don't usually pay attention to them. We either run out to grab a coffee or answer a few emails. But they can be a real toll on our productivity. For four four 30-minute gaps in our schedule can add up to 25% of our day. So it pays to think differently about this underused time. First, take a few minutes at the start of each day to identify the gaps in your schedule. Write what you want to accomplish in each of the gaps into your calendar. Anything from lower value work, such as expense reports, to large tasks you've been dreading, outlining your presentation, for example, to creative work that you may reflect on later. And at the end of the day, look back on your 30-minute tasks and note which ones you've accomplished. 
Some interesting comments there. Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at uh, that law relating to data safety in your business, certainly being talked a lot about at the moment with Facebook and the uh, website oaic.gov.au forward slash NDB is a good place to get some information. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll look at dealing with staff turnover with Jordan Jensen from BU Coaching and we'll have some more business and legal news and views that might affect your business. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and as William Shakespeare once wrote, it's not in the stars to hold our destiny, but in ourselves. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.